Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jordan. I'm the youth director here at the Shore Church. I'm also one of the worship leaders. Every now and then I get the privilege of getting to preach and teach to you something I love doing and I'm so excited to be doing this morning. Um, right out of the gate, if you have your Bibles, feel free to flip over to James chapter 1. We'll get there in just a second. Let me say Happy New Year to all of you. Um, I personally love the New Year, not necessarily celebrating it. Those of you who know me know there's no chance I'm making it till midnight. I go to sleep at like 8.30, so not going to make it till midnight. But, but I love the New Year because I love the idea of newness. I think it signifies and reflects our relationship with Jesus Christ and how he makes us new in him by what he did for us on the cross. And as we get set to enter into 2019, I know that this year we'll have a lot of new things and a lot of uncertainties, a lot of things we have somewhat of an idea of how they're going to go, but ultimately we're not certain. Like there's always things I like to dream and plan about as we head into the new year. Like first and foremost, I want to lay out how I can help my marriage with my wife flourish even more. Like how can I serve her better? How can I help us grow closer to one another and closer to God? Like she's such an incredibly hard worker that I want to have things planned out for her to look forward to throughout the year, like nights out, vacations, surprises. And I want to help her flourish in her goals and desires this year. One thing that's particularly difficult for us right now is we actually bought a pre-sale condo in January of 2016, and we were told that it was going to be ready at the end of 2018. And unless something amazing happens in the next day and a half, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and so that's hard for us because it's looking like it's going to be into the new year, maybe into the spring, God forbid, the summer. And it's tough for us because we're trying to plan our lives out. We're trying to get our finances in order to make mortgage payments, buy furniture, figure out when we're going to move, and it's tough. Additionally, with, with the youth ministry, man, we left off with a ton of momentum and a ton of amazing relationships beginning to blossom. And though I'm so blessed with how things have gone so far, I'm so far from satisfied, and I want to go so much deeper with the youth here. I got a lot of new great ideas I want to implement we're going to be starting a new series on the parables of Jesus in the new year. So excited about that and wanting to root the hearts of our youth in the goodness of Jesus Christ. And with all this planning for 2019, in most cases, I have a pretty good idea of how things are going to go. But I'm really not certain. There's just so many variables that ultimately I'm not in control of and only God knows. And so what I want us to do today amidst all of the uncertainties and variables that 2019 has in store for us that could change unexpectedly in a second, right? Isn't that life? Like one phone call, one letter, one bit of news can change everything in a second. What I want to do is root us not in things that can change, but in the one who never changes. Building our lives on the assurance that God cannot and will not ever change is the best way to enter 2019. In fact, in one of my favorite verses, Hebrews 13, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Find so much comfort in that. And with all that being said, let's get to James chapter one, one verse, verse 17. I'm going to read it. We'll pray and we'll get after this. So James 1, 17 says this. It says, every good 
Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Let me pray. God, we just thank you so much for uh, this idea of newness and how we're made new by your blood, Jesus. We just pray that you would go before us as we enter this new year. And with all the uncertainties before us, let us just find hope in you and you alone. Just pray for those in here this morning that are hurting or going through some stuff, Lord. I pray that you would just intervene in their lives and you would be their hope this year. Pray all these things in your great name. Amen. Amen. So I think right out of the gate, if we're going to talk about perfect gifts from God, we need to do a little bit of work because I think our culture and ourselves inwardly has defined goodness and perfection through certain lenses. Like we have been trained by the day in which we live to believe that what is perfect for you, what is good for you, is some combination of the immediate lifting or removal of pain or difficulty or sorrow, or it's the immediate experience of pleasure without cost or consequence. Our culture, by and large, has said this, that this is, what is what's good, this is what's perfect. The, the problem with that is life experience, history, and the Bible would all disagree with this idea. It's a really great idea. I wish it was true a lot of the time, but it just doesn't work that way in the sin-filled world that we're in. See, what we believe as Christians is that the very best gift the very best thing that you and I could ever receive is to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and then abide and dwell in his presence. And if you're not a Christian, first off, let me say, I'm so glad you're here. You're really an answer to prayer. I wanna say that there's no pressure in here for you to believe anything, to do anything. We're just so thankful you're here. We just have open arms and grace for you. But what I can say is the best gift you could receive in 2019 is to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And Christians, the best gift we could receive is to be all the more aware of abiding in Christ and having pleasure in Christ and to be fully known in Christ. Both of those are really good and perfect gifts for 2019. And if that's true, then anything that comes into our lives that pushes us in that direction towards reconciliation to God or abiding and dwelling in the presence of God, then those are the things that we need the most. And so based on the word of God and the fact that God is going to give perfect gifts to his children, here's what I can confidently say, trusting that you're not just gonna pull this one line I say out of context, thinking I'm going all prosperity gospel on you, but I can confidently say that all 365 days of 2019, God is going to bless you and give you perfect gifts that you need. But remember, the idea of perfect is designed and defined differently than we're prone to think about it. Now, now maybe some of us are sitting in here this morning going, okay, so God gives perfect gifts, but I know that I am far from perfect. There's nothing perfect about me. I have all these things right now that I hate about myself, that I struggle with, and I just want to get rid of them. And maybe you've been struggling with them for years and you think you're all alone in this. I want to tell you that you're not all alone in this. Let me give you some, some good news. That it's going to sound like weird good news at first. The Apostle Paul, okay, he writes 75% of the New Testament books. 
outside of Jesus is the most powerful man to ever walk in our faith. Like he would go into rooms full of sick people and he wouldn't just pray for them to get better. He would just tell them to stop being sick and they would be healed. Anyone else? Like his handkerchief and his robe would literally heal people. The Bible tells us he goes to a place called the third heaven and speaks with Jesus face to face. This is an incredible, faithful man of God. Like if you take the most faithful guy or girl you know, put them on a scale next to Paul, just lay out their resumes, Paul is going to smoke this guy or girl way more faithful. But look what Paul says in Romans 7, and tell me if this sounds familiar. Paul says this, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You know why I find that text so comforting? Because a powerful, faithful man of God said it. And so now all of a sudden, I don't feel like such an outcast. I don't feel like such a failure. Because I can say that. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out all the time. Or, or how about King David? King David, who God himself calls, quote, a man after my own heart. A man after my own heart, God calls him. But look what David says in Psalm 40. He says, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities, so iniquity is like a bent towards something. So it's not necessarily a sin, though it absolutely can be. When life gets hard, when the world presses on you, we all have a bent towards something. Some of us respond with anger, with lust, with frustration, with doubt. It's a bent towards something. David says, my iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. And if a man after God's own heart can say, my iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see, I I don't feel like I'm all alone in this anymore because I could say that. And what I want us to see as we strive to know God more is it's not always going to be a smooth, perfectly paved road, but sometimes the perfect gifts God has for us feels more like a rocky, jagged, dirt road and you don't have any shoes on, like it's that kind of path. And I think the worst thing we can do when these roads come to us in 2019 is forget the one who never changes and dwell on the ever-changing elements of life. And look, I've been right there with you in the struggle. I can relate to what Paul is saying. I can relate to what David is saying. I'm not trying to stand up here like I have it all figured out. I'm far from it. And there's going to be moments in 2019 where we struggle, where it's hard, where sin is very real, where the enemy tries to draw us away from what is true, what is good, and what is lovely. And the only way we can combat this is by remembering Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. We cannot. We were never, ever designed to try to do this on our own, to try to white-knuckle this 
through, through prayer discipline. It's just not going to work. And I know that's the, the day and age in which we live, that, you know, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything you want. Like super type A people, you can make an outline to manipulate your situation, to get through anything you want, but, but that's only going to last so long. Like look what, look what Paul says in Romans 9. He says, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And look, like, I've seen a lot of Hollywood movies like, like The Bravehearts and The Gladiators. I feel like I could stand up here and give you a motivational speech that would get you all so pumped up, get you so fired up to leave this place like, yeah, let's go get God, let's go. But that's only going to last so long. Right? It's going to fade. Like I, I, played, I played professional hockey uh, before moving back here, and there were days where I was so fired up by what my coach said, I would literally I would run through that wall. I'd be so pumped up. Like He would come into the dressing room. He would be throwing Gatorade bottles and snapping sticks and be like, look at your brothers next to you. Let's go out there, and let's do this for each other. And we'd be like, yeah, like, yeah let's go. And we'd go flying out the door. We'd be all pumped up. Two minutes into the period, the other team scores, and we're just like, oh, like, now what? And it's just deflating. Like, why? Because human will and human motivation don't have the power to fight through adversity like God can. Only Jesus can empower us. And so what do we do then? Like, how do we do this? Flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. It'll be on the screen as well. We'll pick it up in verse 6. It says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Here we go. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so we train ourselves for godliness. And I think this is the perfect verse right now, right? Like how many of you are going to be at the gym for the first time ever next week? How many of us are going to have new diet plans or new things we're going to say that we're going to do in the new year, new exercises we want to do? And why do we do those things? Most, most of the time we want to be in better shape or we want to look a little bit better or we want to feel a little healthier, get a little bit stronger. And I'll say this as simple as can be. If you want to get better at something, you need to train. Like you're not going to accidentally wake up one day and be in great shape. It just doesn't work that way. You're not going to be like, oh, like look at that. Like this is not going to, it doesn't work that way. It takes discipline. It takes progress. And that means sometimes it's going to be hard and we're going to fail, but we celebrate the victories and not dwell on the failures. I've said this before from here, two steps forward, one step back, that's still a step forward. And we celebrate that. And while we're training ourselves, we have a good, loving father who is in the heavens, who is so for you, who is so on your side. Look what it says in Zephaniah chapter three. It'll be on the screen. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love he will exult over you with loud singing. So like a good and loving father, 
God is in the heavens cheering you on. He loves you. He wants to see you succeed. And he knows in the process, you're going to fall sometimes. It's going to be hard sometimes. But he knows by you falling, you're ultimately going to grow closer to him. And isn't that the perfect gift? Anything that gets you more of him? And so how can we be confident that this good, perfect gift is actually doable? Well, it's in the last line of our text in James when he says this. He says, With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The theological word, you ready for this? This cost me a lot of money at Regent College. I'll give it to you for free. The theological word is immutable or immutability. It means it can't be changed. It's unchangeable. It's another aspect of God's holiness that sets him apart from us. He's wholly different from you and me in that he never, ever changes. You and I are constantly changing. The world around us is constantly changing. Everything about our experience and our existence is surrounded by change. And if you've lived in North Van long enough, you know this is true. Like I grew up in Lynn Valley, uh, my favorite place to hang out when I was a kid. Um, do you know, anyone know where the, you, know, you all know where it is, the Lynn Valley Library is and, and Delaney's and Brown's. Anyone know what used to be there? 7-Eleven, yes. It was a sketchy old 7-Eleven. I used to hang out there every day after school. Uh, one year it got burnt down by a bunch of punk kids. And then it sat as rubble for a number of years. And then they built it up into the beautiful village it is now. Like we're constantly in moments of change, yet God never is. Like God doesn't have that year, you know, like, like we have in our testimonies where we're like, oh yeah, 2008, I just grew up so much. And, but God doesn't have that in his story. He doesn't have to look back at himself in college and be like, oh, I was such an idiot back then. Like I certainly do. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> but like maybe even physically, maybe physically we're not the same as we once were. Like your knees aren't working all of a sudden. Your back's always hurting. God doesn't have parts that break down like that. He just doesn't change. He's never not perfect. He doesn't need to make any New Year's resolutions in 2019 to be a better person. He never changes. He's always great. And that's where we want to build our lives. That's where we want to build our lives as we enter 2019. And that's the confidence in which we walk into a new year with. See, I have an amazing marriage. Not to brag, maybe a little. Like, I love my wife so much. I just drove her to the airport this morning. She's sent her off to Mexico with a friend. Um, she's coming back. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I hope. She, she's my best friend. Like, honestly, like, we have a million stupid, silly inside jokes that you would never understand, but it's so fun. She's my perfect person to partner in life with. I don't know what this year has in store for us. Like, maybe there's going to be some bumps in the road. You know what won't change? Jesus Christ. His love, his grace, his mercy, the hope I have in him. And I'm so blessed to have all of my immediate family here on the North Shore, and, you know, everyone's healthy and happy and I don't know what's going to happen this year. Like, God forbid someone gets get sick or injured or something terrible happens. Either way, God doesn't change in any of that. 
See, the immutability or the unchangingness of God says that God rejoices over you today. He rejoices in your presence today the same way he did the very first moment you became a son or daughter of him. You're his beloved and he never cools on you. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that hard to believe sometimes? Like I know it is for me when I think about the times where I've seen wickedness and darkness in my heart that God still loves me. See, the essence of our faith isn't that we're perfect and have it all figured out, but rather that we're not and God still loves us. And if you're in here this morning and you have just like waves of shame or guilt or something you're hanging on to that you just can't live with, that's just so hard for you to believe that, ah, how can God love me in that? Just know that that's the exact moment that Jesus Christ breathed his last breath for you. He loves you. He died for you. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see any of the mess. He sees you as perfect and holy and blameless. So his perfect gifts to you to draw you into his presence, to usher you into salvation are always perfect in that it is his kindness to bless you with perfect gifts, ones that you would call good and ones that we might not call good, but they are perfectly good for us. And so what do we do then? How do we get to this place where we know we're being sanctified and growing more in the likeness of Christ amidst all of the change and uncertainties around us. What do we do when we know there's things we should be doing, but we're not, or there's things we shouldn't be doing, but we are, but our hearts just aren't quite there yet, or we're struggling to be motivated and stay anchored in him. I think it's important to talk about this practically, and honestly, I think it's a lot more simple than we tend to think it is, but I know that doesn't make it easy. We train ourselves, and I think If I were to break it down into three things for you, we train ourselves by praying, by getting in community, and by reading the word of God. And I want to give you some examples of this. I I never want this to be just me talking to you. I want you to see that this is what God is saying is best for us. Like if God were to hack this screen behind me and come on the screen with his face and be like, I have something to say to you right now, we'd all be like, oh my goodness, you ready to write it down, do whatever it might be. That's what this entire book is. It's him speaking to us. So the first thing we can do to train ourselves is pray. I'm just going to rip through a number of verses here about what God says about prayer. Here we go. 1 John 5 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Ephesians 6, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Jeremiah 29, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. James 5, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Matthew 26, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Romans 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Romans 8, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You know why I love this one so much? You know, like when we're, when we're struggling or we just feel like the weight of the world upon us and we feel numb inside and we don't even know what to pray? 
Romans tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes, enters inside of us, hears all of our inward groans and pains and translates that to the Father on our behalf. So we don't even have to pray ourselves. The Holy Spirit does it for us. I love that. A couple more here. Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Colossians 4, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. 1 Thessalonians, pray continually. And finally, James 5, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so we pray. Secondly, we, we get into community. And this is a great time because community groups are on a break. They're about to launch up in a few weeks here. I just feel like you're doing such a disservice to yourself if you don't have godly men and women around you to do this with. Your relationship with God is absolutely intimate and personal, but it was never meant to be private. You weren't meant to do this on your own. Let me give you some verses about community here. It'll be on the screen as well. Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Psalm 133, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Matthew 18, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Romans, uh, sorry, Acts 2, this is the early church. This is the first Christians who were called the way. They were called the way because of the way they lived their lives was so evident to everyone. And look how they lived. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Romans 15, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. And finally, 1 John, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And so we get in community. And lastly, we, we read the Bible, we read the word, and we read it with intention. You know, we don't just read it for the sake of reading it, but we read it slow. And, and if you don't even know how to do that, then let me just give you some, some practical advice. Like, I don't think it's the best practice to just flip it, point, and read. Like, God can do amazing things that way, sure. But focus on one book, and you don't know where to start. Start with Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Pick one of those and read one chapter Read the same chapter for two or three days in a row. Pray before you read that. Like, God, open up my heart to see what you would have me learn from this text. Read it. Meditate on it. Take your time. Something really practical that um, I couldn't suggest any more to you is, I use my phone. We all have one of these. We all have a smartphone. I use my reminders app to give myself multiple reminders throughout the day. I know how busy life is and how easy it is to forget to pray or reflect or think on God. And so I have multiple reminders throughout the day and I would strongly suggest this. Um, for example, I'm an early riser, so at 6.30 I get a Psalm 46 reminder, God is my refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. 
Nine o'clock, reminder to pray for my marriage. 12 o'clock, we pray for the youth ministry. Three o'clock, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 15.3, that Jesus dying on the cross is the most important thing. At six, I'm reminded of Matthew 4.17, it's a reminder to repent. And then at 8.30, Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. It's just such an easy thing that we can do amidst the busyness and craziness of our day just to stop, even if it's for a minute, just to think about that verse or that reminder to pray to God. And so we train ourselves. We walk in obedience. We press on for godliness and we rely on him and him alone. And then what? Well, it's something we talked about a lot in the Advent season. We wait on the Lord. And I'll be honest, I think the, the phrase and the concept of waiting on the Lord sounds a lot more uplifting and cute than it actually is. You know, but the truth is waiting on the Lord can be far from easy. And, and often the waiting just goes so slow. Like if you're in physical pain and you're waiting on the Lord to hear you, that can be hard. If you're in a hostile relationship and you're waiting on the Lord to, to bring healing, like, that's hard. Maybe you have a sin or something you're ashamed of that's just eating you up from the inside. You can't stop dwelling on it. You're waiting for God to, to remove that from you. That's hard. I remember when I was first learning how to play the guitar. Um, it was about, I was in high school. It was about 16 years ago. I needed a lot of help. Like, I was r really bad. I remember getting made fun of by my friends for being so bad. I needed people to come alongside me and, like, show me, like, what do I do with my hands? How do I make it so my fingers don't bleed? Like, what do I do with this arm over here? And it was hard. I struggled. But now, like, 16 years later, I don't wrestle with it so much. Like, I know exactly where to put my hands. Like, I could, for the most part, I can play without looking very much. And sure, there's going to be some new songs that come along that are going to be challenging, that are going to give me a hard time. But I'm not where I was 16 years ago. I've learned how to get through it. What happened? It's what the Bible would call progressive sanctification. It's training in righteousness. It's growth. And sometimes it might move slower than we'd like, but God's still working in that. And so how do we wait on the Lord? How do we train ourselves to trust in God this year? Well, we listen and obey to what God has said will bring us into ever-increasing joy. You partake in what I just like to call active waiting. So it's not just praying to God and saying, God, help me through this. I'll wait for you. Amen. And you sit there and do nothing. No, you train yourself for godliness. You pray. You get in community. You read your Bible. And you wait. Why? Because like Isaiah 40 says, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As I start to wrap this up, I'm going to read to you a real-life radio transcript from a 
U.S. naval ship um, off the coast of Newfoundland in 1995. This is the, the captain of the ship is realizing that he's on a collision course with another ship. And so here he goes. So the U.S. ship, the captain gets on the radio. Please divert your course 0.5 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. And then the other guy responds, I recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. This is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. No, I say again, divert your course. And it's in all capitals here, so forgive me. This is the aircraft carrier USS Coral Sea. We are a large warship of the U.S. Navy. Divert your course now. Um, this is a lighthouse. So your call. Real life transcripts. Why do I say that? If we're serious about pursuing God, we got to be willing to change our course or we're going to shipwreck ourselves again and again. We got to be willing to move. The idea that you're going to accidentally stumble into godliness, it's just not true. It'll take faith, yes. It'll take the Holy Spirit, yes. But it'll also take you and I getting up, getting into the game and pursuing that which is worth pursuing. And when things get tough, the one thing that will always stay the same, that will always help you get through it, is Jesus Christ. In fact, in, in the book of Hebrews, in chapters 2 and 4, we read that we have an empathetic high priest who has suffered in all ways that we do. Like, have you thought about that? Jesus didn't just come to the earth, die on the cross for us. He lived a really hard life. Like, he mourned losing one of his best friends. He was betrayed by one of, one of his boys in his inner circle. He was hated by tons of people. He was stressed out to the point that he was sweating blood. He lived really, really hard. Why? Hebrews tells us so that when we're sitting on our couch and we're struggling, we don't know where to turn, he can sit next to you, put his arm around you and say, I know. I know. I lost. I was hated. Come to me. Let me help you. In Matthew 7 is a famous parable that Jesus tells about building your house um, either on sand as your foundation or on solid rock as your foundation. And, and when the storm comes, if my house is built on the sand, my house is going to fall over. But if I build my house on the solid foundation, when the storms come, my house will remain. And something that's kind of lost, I think, in that text sometimes is that in both situations, whether you build it on the sand or you build it on the solid foundation, the storm still comes. And in 2019, we might be in some storms. See, trusting in God and building your life on him isn't necessarily going to get you out of all of your struggle and difficulties, but it will get you through it. And so in 2019, let's build our foundation on him who never changes. So when the storms come, we can find hope, we can find joy, we can find strength. It's going to take prayer, community, 
the word of God. You want a New Year's resolution? Remember the one who never changes. Build your life on him.